Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and my voice is still holding out, but I have an insurance policy in studio with me. Brad Peterson was gracious enough to step away from the boat show and come in with me for a couple hours because to tell you the folks, truth, folks, last night, I didn't know if I was going to make it here, much less make it through the show. But let's go to the phones. And one of our favorite, favorite contributors who's holding a big tournament through the ice at Boyd is going to tell us there are no fish in Boyd Reservoir. Good morning, guys. How are you? <laughs> We're doing, doing great. Well. I understand you're getting swamped by people weighing fish. Holy cow. I can tell you in the, in the six years of ice addiction history, we have never, ever seen anything like this. Uh, Boyd Lake State Park is absolutely just on fire uh, and producing insane amount of fish uh, up here in northern Colorado today. It is uh, it's flying out crazy. Now, you'll be there with the tournament till noon. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we'll be here till noon. Award ceremonies right around twelve thirty or so. Uh, and yeah, I think we've uh, we've weighed well over two hundred fish so far. We have rainbows. We have panfish. We've seen a bunch of largemouth. We've seen walleye. Uh, absolutely, a variety of species, uh, and and the great just continues. Uh, absolutely steady action up here. It's uh, it's crazy. Absolutely well, crazy. Well, I think people, even though it's too late to get in the tournament, if you're anywhere up in that Loveland area. They want to come by Boyd, see some of the fish that it can produce. And you know what? When these guys come to the award ceremony, they're going to start talking techniques. And you can learn so much out of tournament, Nate. I mean, that's it. When you have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of anglers on the water, and we don't, you know, these anglers are fishing in their secret spots. We pre-drill the holes at Ice Addiction, so we put them in the location. So they're forced to rely on their skill, um, and not only, really, you know, location or, or knowledge of the lake, per se. Uh, so this is an ultimate, you know, kind of area to, to learn what's hot, what's working, just simply for the fact that it's not about a secret spot. It's all about technique, about the color, about the jig stroke about what's producing best in literally uh, the best anglers, you know, in the state. I think we have 15 or 16 states in attendance um, here today. So 15, 16 states of anglers fishing. Um, Again, when when you see these winning fish, they absolutely beat out the competition. Uh, So it's neat to see uh, what was the the winning technique for this, for sure. Now, earlier you were going to hold the, the tournament out a little deeper, but you moved it shallower because of ice. I had made a prediction at that time that if somebody caught one of those big catfish there, they would win the tournament. Have you seen any catfish? We have not yet. We keep waiting for it. You know, after seeing all the bass species and the walleye, uh, I mean, obviously we have a wide variety of species coming through. Um, and with that, we continue to wait for that big catfish to bite. Uh, it has not yet. Uh, so we'll see as the day continues. We are right now halfway through. Uh, so we're over 200 fish weighed. Uh, and right now, I mean, we still have an hour and 56 minutes to go in the tournament. So uh, there is still lots of time uh, for the elusive catfish and the big rainbow or, or who knows what it could be. Uh, again, by the chunkiness of the walleye, I would say that that is a very fair option uh, of another species that could very well win this event. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's wide open to see and. You know, we see a lot of anglers holding tight, 
and then you see uh, some anglers that are that are playing the run and gun game. We have some guys kind of bouncing around. Um, and the other thing is, we think here with so many fishing and so much for catch rate, um, we allow anglers to weigh their legal limit. So in this respect, we're allowed to weigh four trout. So with that, we had a lot of anglers weigh their first two or their first three. Um, and now all of a sudden they're trying to make that decision. Do I weigh the next one? Does it look bigger than the last? Or do I hold out uh, you know, in hopes that I might catch a bigger fish? Uh, so very interesting to see uh, the, the perspective and the decision-making uh, going on up here at Boyd. And, again, we welcome spectators. We'd love to have you out. Come check it out. Sit in our warming hut. Enjoy the day. Watch the award ceremony. Uh, and watch how it unfolds here over the next, uh, next two hours here at Boyd. Nate, what species of fish is actually leading the event currently? Right now, it's a largemouth. So right now, the largemouth bass is leading the event. I told Terry Followed that... Followed by that, a very close second for the trout. But uh, yeah, right now, the largemouth is leading the event. I told Terry this morning when I saw where it was, I said, watch out, because there's some big largemouth in that area. You know, I hate it when That's Brad... That's it. I hate it when Brad is right. You know, <laughs> you know and, and to be honest, yeah, I mean, we're, we're watching it. I got I to gotta update this course here right after the future. I mean, who knows? It could be beat now. But, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot, of, lot of great fish. But um, to be honest, we saw some big largemouth yesterday getting caught. Um, so it by no means is a, is a fluke thing. And I, I think just uh, the overall weight that they're holding, those largemouth just, just weigh well. You know, they're just a bulkier fish in the winter. Um, they, do. They, they weigh really well on the scale. So uh, we'll see how it unfolds. But, again, whether it's just that one largemouth that we see, we've seen a couple others, but that one big large, if we see anything uh, surpass that. Uh, the winning largemouth right now is at 16 inches, so it's 16 and change. Uh, it's the length of that fish. Uh, we're not saying to wait because we're going to keep everybody on their toes to see who's going to win this event. But, uh, yeah, a lot of nice fish coming. And, again, every technique under the sun. We see guys out, you know, with a focus point of looking for catfish. We see some guys fishing for carp. Uh, we see guys fishing for whatever will bite. Um, so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of tactics and a lot. And, obviously, it's a term everybody's out there. Their winning creation, uh, but we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll see what holds it at the end of the day up here. Early on, Nate, did you see a lot of panfish caught? But then, when some bigger fish got caught, did people change tactics? You know, we we haven't. We've always hardly seen. Uh, I mean, we've only seen a handful of panfish so far. Um, and again, I don't know if that's situation of they're catching more fish and they're just not weighing the panfish um, or if they're just putting a focus point on those bigger fish. Uh, but surprisingly, we've only seen a, a small handful of the panfish uh, coming in. Again, I don't know if it's, uh, yeah, if they've changed up just knowing that there's so many other species coming in that are larger uh, or what it is. I'm getting ready to walk the course right after this show and uh, we'll kind of get the, the lowdown from the, from the anglers and what's happening down there. Nate, I want to change up on you for a minute. We had some questions, a caller or a texter on the line earlier in the show. And he wants, he is about Antero. He said he heard that they put tiger muskies in Antero, and I can't confirm that. I don't know if you can. And then he asked what the ice was like at Antero. Absolutely. We can definitely confirm uh, all of those things from that up there. So as far as the uh, ice in Antero, yes, ice is fantastic. You know, I would say if we hadn't had snow on the ice, we'd probably be at the thickest conditions I've seen in a while. Uh, you know, we had a week of 40 below. The lowest one was 48 below. Uh, we have got a, a lot of ice on the lake. We do have some snow on the, the uh, lake. Luckily, the snow has started to blow and crust over. Uh, for a little while, it was fairly rough hiking around and walking around. Uh, but right now, it's starting to crust over, so walking around is getting a little easier. Uh, but plenty of ice here. You're right now, I think it's at probably 18-inch mark, uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, you know, once it gets that much, I kind of quit by 
honestly. Uh, but lots of ice. And then as far as the tiger muskie go, absolutely. Uh, they did stop tiger muskie in there uh, you know, to help with the sucker population control. Uh, so in there, you got, you got uh, a couple of varieties. You got some lake in there still existing from the past. Uh, you do have tigers, uh, and they kind of influx their, their stocking of brown trout, more of that predator fish, uh, to help in those regards. So you do have all of those in there. Uh, Dustin Sigler, our new guide, actually caught a tiger through the ice uh, last week up there, which is our first tiger we caught through the ice in Antero. Uh, so kind of cool to see that tiger come through the ice uh, up there in Antero. But, yes, you do have a, a tiger mus population. Um, I would say that you're going to see those fish grow probably quickly. Um, I would say it's still going to be a couple of years before you see, you know, very large fish in there. Uh, those fish right now are kind of at that hammer handle stage. Uh, but, again, I, I think that it does have the, the sucker mass, the biomass of suckers. Where in time, I think those fish will grow up fairly quickly, and uh, I think it might be a, a premium destination for, for some giant tigers in the future. Last question, and we'll let you get back to the tournament because I know you're swamped. And if somebody's headed out this weekend and they just don't want to come up to Boyd, where could they go and get on the ice or anywhere? What kind of fishing? What could they do? You know, the the two things I'd have to say, I mean, obviously, yeah, I would say Boyd, even not for the tournament, holy cow, it's fishing hot. So this would definitely be a destination to come to. Uh, then other than that, the south end of Chatfield, down by Catfish Flats, Fox Run, that ice is holding up very well down there, and that walleye bite is hot. So that is definitely a place that I would suggest if you want to stay local. Again, Chatfield, south end, walleye, low light. Um, you can't beat it. Those fish are hungry and going hard. Uh, other than that, 11 Mile continues to fish very well. Uh, so 11 Mile, uh, you know, fishing on the, the far kind of you know west or south end, uh, Cross Creek Inlet area, that is fishing very well, and it would be a great destination for anglers to go. All right, my friend, get back there and tend your tournament. People want more. Thank you so much. If they want more information, tightlineoutdoors.com and Tightline Outdoors on Facebook, right? That's it. We'll be at Jackson Reservoir February 1st. We can encourage everybody. We sold out at this event. Uh, sign up soon before that one sells out. All right, my friend. Good luck. I hope it continues. Thank you. Yeah, Nate Zielinski, always a great resource. And he gets, uh, he's really come on and just gets excited about these events, doesn't he? Oh, he absolutely does. And I tell you what, that many fish, that is a great way to kick off the Ice Addiction Series for the year. Oh, uh, phenomenal. You and I have had some success right where they're fishing. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I haven't caught a bass there in the winter. I have in the summer. Um, but I, I, I still think if somebody can get one of those big cats, so maybe the, they've pushed out to deeper water. But if you can get one of those big cats, you know, the, the food is in there. There are big cats in there, and that could top the 10-pound range. But I'm I staying be, with the bass, huh? I wouldn't be surprised to see an 18-inch bass come. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a nice fish. Hey, we're going to take a quick time out. We come back. We're going to switch things up. We're going to talk to Tony from the Blue Quill Angler and talk fly fishing right here by town on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. A lot of dire straits today. I like that. Between that organ and their guitar licks, you always know who's playing. And again, here I am in my, my FM head cold voice. We should be doing music all day, Kyle. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And we're not going to do music all day because we want to go right to the phones. And joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is Tony. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for being on. Brad Peterson is also in studio with me. Uh, he's my insurance policy today because I didn't know if my voice was going to hold up. But Sounds good. Good morning, Brad. How are you doing? Good morning. Doing great. So I think 
my conclusion is that fly fishermen, when it gets to be about October, November, should just put the rods away and tie flies till May, right? You know, that's a great alternative. Uh, you know, tying flies, we've got a lot of tying courses going on at our, uh, at our shop here throughout the winter months. They're looking to kind of have a little activity to escape the cold and teach yourself to tie some of your favorite bugs. Winter is a great time frame for that. Um, got a bunch of great classes and opportunities to learn at the shop, and you can visit our website at bluecoalangler.com to be more in tune with that. But on the contrary, there's a lot of good fishing still to be had as well. Oh, you're absolutely um, right. Some of my best fly fishing days have come in the mid of winter and right after some of the coldest days and the fish are grouped up. Now, you guys, you guide a lot on the, the, the plat uh, system. What's going on there? Yeah, that's absolutely correct, Terry. We do do a fair amount of trips throughout the winter. Um, the South Platte seems to kind of house the best flows, especially this season. We have an ample amount of moisture in some of our reservoirs, um, and that's kind of making a higher flow this year. So not only do the fish group up, as you were saying, um, but they're pretty tuned into specific bugs. Um, the hatches are few and far, but you can really tune in some good midge uh, hatches and some midge bites using some midge larvae and some midge emergers. Um, but also as these flows bump, you know, we've been seeing some bigger bugs in the system as well. Uh, when you see that CFS kind of jump from 130s, 140s up in the 180s, a lot of the times you'll see um, some scuds in that system. The fish really react to some orange scuds or some olive scuds. Um, so, you know, not all the time you got to fish super small, but, you know, there's still some great fish to be had. We've been seeing some great fish come out of the South Platte River, um, you know, near Dreamstream, the Deckers location, as well as Cheeseman. Now, the winter flows, when they're down low, can be extremely technical. They can be a lot of fun, and you can catch some fish. But with a little bit better flows, is it just a little more forgiving also? You know, there's a couple things that factor into it. The flows are absolutely one of them. And I think the second is probably the water temperature. We've been seeing the water temperature kind of in between 36 and 38, depending on the day. And usually when it's in those 36 or high 36-degree water temps, the fish's metabolism really slows down. And just as you were saying, it does get quite technical, especially when those flows are lower. Not only do those trout have a long time to really identify what they're looking at um, and really picking and choose what food they're choosing, but at the same time, the water is really clear. And so with the sunlight, the lower flows and the clear water, you're kind of set up for a perfect storm from some real technical nymphing. However, as the flows bump, I think those fish get a little less spooky a little more prone to eating, a little bit more uh, bugs um, and just different food sources that are in the water. And I think if you can focus on those during a nice day like today, you can really have some good luck out there in the winter. You know, one of the things I like to do when it's really like this is when you get into this really precise technical nymphing you're talking about is get rid of the weight. Use maybe um, little flies that have a little bead head, you know, that's a little heavier or something. And stay away from that extra piece of weight on my tackle below the indicator. Do you ever do that? or? Yes, Terry, absolutely. That not only is a, a real good way to present your bugs or insects naturally in the water. And, you know, during the lower flows, you don't really need all that water to punch through that top current. It's, you know, it's a pretty even keel uh, flow kind of throughout most columns, different rocks and different obstacles in the river. Don't really get a whole bunch of drag off of them. Now, you'll definitely find those fish grouped up you know, behind those obstacles or around those corners. But like you said, taking a little less weight off can definitely be the difference of catching a few fish or catching a handful of them, just making it as natural as possible. One of, one of the things I like to do, and winter's my favorite time to get out and do some fly fishing, is there's a lot of 
holes that everyone knows, the primary holes in the river that everyone sees, I like to target a lot of those maybe smaller holes, the secondary spots that might not hold quite as big a fish or maybe, you know, the, the big numbers, but you can get in there and catch one or two fish. And a lot of times I, I feel like I catch more fish by doing that, not going to the, to the main spot, but maybe the secondary spot. And, uh, that's, they don't seem to get pressured as, as hard and they aren't as educated. Yeah, Brad, I couldn't agree more. Um, we were just out doing some uh, some marketing stuff out in the river with some clients last week, and we fished a fair amount of pocket water, so to speak, um, you know, kind of adjacent next to those deeper holes. And just like you were saying, you know, you'll get a couple fish. Typically, it's not pressured, and sometimes you can find some really nice fish that are kind of sitting in there, um, you know, maybe behind a deep rock next to, you know, maybe not super deep hole, but something that still houses some good um, environment for those fish to live and feed. And just like you said, typically you won't find people in those spots. And so if you could kind of focus on a half dozen of those, you know, pocket water spots or, you know, less uh, popular spots, I definitely think they can produce um, some great fish and allow you to escape some uh, some crowds as well. Now, is there a few areas that people are, you were supposed to have some decent weather. If, give me a couple of areas of the South Platte, maybe that if people, whether they want to hike in or they're accessible, might want to try if they have a few hours and then maybe talk about some of the other rivers around the area and if there's any opportunity absolutely terry uh, you know one of the two closest rivers or two complexes we'll have is obviously cheeseman and deckers cheeseman uh, is flowing about 180 cfs which is a great wintertime flow i think if you go in there mixing scuds crane fly larva and mid uh variations would do you great in there um, and then also in Deckers, I think you could fish the same. Obviously not a whole bunch of hiking in, involved when you're going into Deckers. Um, those are two great options, as well as the Dream Stream, another tail water um, a little bit further south. I know Nate was on earlier talking about those reservoirs and how cold it's been getting. One thing to pay attention to, if you go down there in the Hartsville area, it's going to be pretty chilly in the morning, but still some great fishing to be had, some great flows out of the Dream Stream. And then something that's not really um, super local, but you can fish the Arkansas River down in Pueblo. You're looking to kind of get out, but you're kind of, you know, hesitant with these colder temps we've been seeing in the mornings, especially as you head west, um, southwest in the mountains. But if you go south down to Arkansas there in Pueblo, not only is it a beautiful state park, water's typically a little warmer, some bigger bugs to be had, and fishing's been great down there. Those yeah. are a few options that if you're looking to get out, I'd love to love to go out there. Yeah, and, you know, that Pueblo, the tailwaters below the reservoir, has always been one of my favorite winter fisheries. And they've done a lot of habitat improvement and put some regulations so the trout fishing has gotten a lot better. But I've hiked all the way through town from the from the park there, and not only have mm-hmm. I caught nice trout, but I've caught bass and walleyes and catfish. I mean, it's just a plethora of species. That's a tremendous winter fishery. I couldn't agree more. That's one of my favorites as well. Not only can you get a couple different species on the fly rod if you're looking for that, um, but like you said, they've done some great improvements to that stream really have a lot of good habitat for those trout, especially this time of year for them to kind of group up, feed, and get ready for the spring and summer months. Now, what about Clear Creek and Bear Creek? You know, those two, um, very popular here, have a lot of folks asking about those. Bear Creek, you know, for the most part, it's going to be pretty locked up. Um, you can definitely find some areas um, that you know, maybe protrudes a little bit more in the sunlight. I know Lair of the Bear maybe has a few spots where you can get in the sunlight have a little bit of open water. But for the most part, Bear Creek's pretty locked up, pretty tough, pretty icy. Um, and Clear Creek's not going to be quite as locked up, a little bit of a bigger river. It is a freestone, so it does get quite cold in that canyon. You definitely have a lot of shelf ice. But like I said, if you find the sunlight, 
which that's kind of my, you know, MO in the winter is I try and find that sunlight. Not only is it a little bit more um, friendly on the skin and on the body, but, you know, sometimes those fish can, you know, in, feel that uh, temperature increase in the water just a little bit um, and turn them on to be feeding a little bit. Um, but I would say if you're fishing Clear Creek or Bear Creek, try and focus on getting in a sunny area. Otherwise, it's going to be pretty icy and just be careful as you're walking along those smaller rivers and creeks. Tony, we got to run, but if people want more information, which you guys are always willing to share, or if they want to book a guide trip or sign up for one of your classes, how do they find you? Yeah, absolutely, Terry. You can visit our website at thebluecoolangler.com or give us a call. Um, the website will also have our phone number and our address. So feel free to call us if you have any questions about booking a guide trip, booking a class, or follow us on social media at bluecoolangler. We'd be happy to help with any fishing needs and concerns as the season progresses. All right. You guys are always so full of knowledge. Thank you so much, Tony. Thanks, Terry. Brad, have a good rest of your day, guys. You Thanks. bet. Thank you. I'll tell you what, those are good guys. They are. They're just super, super guys. They, they, um, you know, Pat Dorsey's legendary. He guides out of there. Um, Chris Steinbeck and his dad owns it now, and Chris guides for him. They're just quality people that you know if you send somebody or if they, even if you stop by the store, you're going to have a great experience. They are. They've got the knowledge base, and they're willing to share it. Yeah, they're just super, super people. I just, I think they're one of the better shops there. I mean, there's lots of great shops. I don't want to take these guys are super, super good. We're going to take a time out. We come back. Brad and I are going to talk a little more hunting. A waterfall is starting to wind down, but there's still opportunities, and maybe a few more tips on turkey hunting. Brad. Yep, we'll cover all that right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. In studio with me for an emer- on an emergency basis is Brad Peterson because I'll tell you folks, last night I didn't know if I was going to make it here and today I didn't know if I'd make it through the show, but we're almost there, Brad. I, I think you've made it. I tell you what, the phone call I got yesterday, I was, I was real concerned because the <laughs> voice was just about gone. Yeah, it was. Uh, we're holding up lots of cold medicine and coffee and I'll get through it. Um, before we go on to what we want, we want to talk some hunting, but we were talking to the Blue Quill Angler about Deckers and some of those. I want to mention my YouTube channel again. Um, the most watched video on my YouTube channel is one I did down on Deckers. Now, it's a summer one. It's not a winter one. But if you want to also look at winter fishing on my YouTube channel, which is the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom, um, I have a winter one at the, on the Big Thompson, you know, in the Big Tease of Tailwater, too. And I'll tell you what, we talked about it a little bit with um, Tony. And those fish would get in holes on the Big Thompson. And I was with Kirk Bean from Kirk's Fly Shop up in Estes. I think we could have done the whole show from one spot. There must have been 40 fish in one hole. And when you caught one, there were so many fish, it didn't spook them because there was so much activity in there. But we wanted to get different angles and different shots, so we moved anyway. But it was just incredible. And it had been 20 below the weekend before that, and then it was about 40 above that day, and it just showed you how it can just turn on. But anyway, if you want to see some of that, right here in our backyard, it's the Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on YouTube, and follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Brad, I want to talk some hunting. I want, you know, uh, waterfall, upland game is winding down, turkey's about to get started, or at least the draw and planning should be getting started. What's going on? Let's take waterfall first. Well, waterfowl, we, at least in the northeast region, have a little bit more uh, time left. It ends January 31st, and I was out on Wednesday 
even with these warm temperatures, surprisingly, a bunch of ducks have moved to the river. The The ponds are open, but the ducks really moved to. I bet you we saw two, 3,000 birds before shooting light, and then they kept trickling in all morning long. It wasn't a, a real fast shoot, but by 1030, we'd almost had a limit of ducks with a few opportunities at geese. So I think there's still opportunities for people anywhere along the South Platte corridor, and especially if you're looking for public land hunting from that brush east, there's a lot of great public opportunity that Parks and Wildlife provides for hunters to get out there and get on some ducks. And then goose season runs through, I believe it's February uh, 4th or 15th this year. So we still have almost a month left on goose season. And the goose hunters, they got a little stale. It was a little bit tough there right around Christmas in New Year's, but the hunters are starting to see the a lot more bird activity. They aren't flying quite as high, and they're hitting a, a variety of spots. They're starting to hit the cornfields again. So I think that the next, you know, two weeks for duck hunters and month for the goose hunters could be some of the best hunting that we've had all season. Well, and you mentioned the Parks and Wildlife has some great opportunities. There's, blo- there's walk-in, first-come, first, you know, you get first, you're there in a lot of the wildlife areas and parks. But there's a lot of reservable spots, blinds and places to hunt. And they're only open certain days so the birds don't get worn out. And you can go on the Parks and Wildlife website and reserve those uh, up till just, I think, two weeks ahead of time. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, but. about two weeks ahead. So we're kind of at the tail end there. But one of the best spots in the entire state for access and quality of hunting in on the South Platte River is Tamarack. You know, the state has almost 20 miles of river bottom right there, and it's divided up into sections. So the waterfowl hunters get an area knowing that there isn't going to be anyone else crowding you. And I think that stays until nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, and then you can kind of move around. But right there, there's great pheasant hunting. So you can not only get in a morning duck hunt, but you can get out and pheasant hunt or maybe come down south a bit and uh, do some of the walk-in access. I know I was talking to Austin Parr at the ISE show, and he's been getting into some days that he's seeing over 100 pheasants right now, which for Colorado is absolutely phenomenal. Good friend of ours, Kirk Dieter, who's the editor of Trout Magazine and editor-at-large for Field & Stream. I talked to him yesterday. He's headed out northeast to do some. He's a shotgunner. He loves it. He said he was going out to do some waterfall, but I'll bet you he's got his dog with her, and, and, and he'll be doing some birds, too. I mean, some upland game. Before we run out of time in this segment, though, I want to move on. We talked in the first hour turkey hunting, and uh, we talked about how many more turkeys there are, the draw. You have to be in by February 4th at 8 o'clock if you want to draw, but there are over-the-counter licenses uh, so let's just say you probably don't know exactly where you're going to hunt for a week or two. When do you start scouting? You know, if you're going over the counter, because you can start scouting right away, uh, you don't have to worry about the draw. And as as they mentioned, it in the spring, you can get two tags. If one of them's a draw, you can also get an over-the-counter tag. So you can start scouting your over-the-counter areas right now. And what I would say is if you're going to do that, Start looking up in the mountains and look for those winter roosting areas where some of the birds are hanging out. And then you don't have to go up every week. But once you've located that area, if you're up every couple weeks, you're able to kind of follow their path. And the biggest thing I've found when hunting those Merriams 
in the mountains is there's always birds right about the snow line. So as that snow is receding and new green sprouts start coming up and the bug life starts coming to life, that is right where the uh, the turkeys are going to be. There's going to be a good concentration right there. So if you get a couple warm days, those those birds may move up, you know, 500 feet in elevation real quick. You get a big snowstorm and they may push back down. So really follow that that snow line. But if I'm going to hunt an over-the-counter area, I tell you what, probably mid-February, I'm going to get out and at least try to find where they are to start my scouting. Do you concentrate more on the Miriams than the um, Rios? You know, I spend more time on the Rios just because I have access to some river bottom and I'm able to hunt over-the-counter tags on the river bottom. I love hunting the Miriams. The Miriams have been a lot more frustrating for me because they do move so much. But that challenge is a lot of fun. And being up in the mountains, right as everything's coming to life, is it's just a, a wonderful time to be up there. Well, and turkey hunting itself, folks, we, we don't have much more time to talk about it now, but we'll try to cover it more in the upcoming weeks. But it's addictive. Oh, uh, it gets, very much so. When you get in that blind and you start talking to that turkey and you call it in, and whether you harvest or not, it's just a, an adrenaline rush. It it absolutely is. Like like they were saying, the only thing I can compare it to is, you know, archery elk hunting. And it, it probably is even more of an adrenaline rush than waterfowl hunting. But I kind of put all three of those together because of the the skill it takes to understand the calling to bring the animal to you. You're trying to fool them, and I enjoy that added challenge. It, it's more rewarding for me. All right. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us. And we're going to talk a little more about the boat show, but he's also been out doing some fishing, and I'm interested to see where and how he's been fishing because he, he a lot of times, is an avid ice fisherman, but I wouldn't be surprised if he has been fishing open water. He kind of sneaks around on some of that open water early and catches some really big fish. You'll hear all that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and Brad Peterson's in studio with me. Brad, I think I might make it. I think you've made it. I tell you, when I called you last night and said I might need emergency help, I I didn't even know if I'd be here. I thought you might be doing the show, but thanks for helping me get through this. Glad to do it. Let's go to the phones now. One of our favorite contributors. I know he's going to talk about being down at the boat show, but before we do that, Mr. Ronnie Castiglione, You've been out doing some fishing, I understand. What kind of water have you been sneaking out to fish? Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Brad. Uh, Good morning. I've been heading up. I've been heading up to Horseshoes and taking advantage of the open water that we have up at Horseshoes right now. Uh, there's very little ice on the reservoir at all. The ice that is there is in the back of the coves, and so the main lake is basically ice free at this point. And we've been successful just about every trip we've gone up there at catching uh, catching smallmouth and catching walleyes from the bank, Terry. Now. Do you have to walk quite a bit to get access, or how are you getting into where you're fishing from? Well, you know, there, there, there's quite a bit of access around the lake, Terry, and 
but there is some areas that are closed and access is a little restricted right now. So you kind of got to plan ahead. Um, walking wise. Yeah. We tend to have to hike into the areas that we're fishing. Uh, we've been targeting really the, the steeper banks any of the real steep banks that we can get to right now, Terry, those are the areas that we've been targeting and we've been out there and we're basically utilizing the same presentations that we were utilizing late in the year from the boat. You know, we're out there, we're, we're working blade baits, we're working jig and spoons, we're working things like Johnny darts or Johnny darters and jig and wraps and things like that. Um, but we're working them from the shore and we're having a lot of success. Now, I will tell you that there's definitely a skill set involved with the, with the way that we're going about doing it and understanding that what we're doing, Terry, is we're making really, really long casts. We're standing on steep banks. We're making casts that are going 50 to 70 yards out there. I mean, we're bombing them out there, Terry, and, and letting them fall all the way down. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to cast all the way to the dirt so that we're past where the rocks spill off into the dirt, where presentations are landing on the dirt, and we're just working them back to that deep edge of the rocks. And once we start feeling any rocks and anything like that, we're, we're going ahead and we're reeling our presentations all the way back in at that point. So we're really only working that first one-third of the cast and reeling it in the, the last two-thirds of the cast sort of a thing, Terry. Um, the fish are all coming right on that outer transition there, Terry. They're all right on that transition where those rocks spill off into the dirt. And so it, it takes a little skill set. It takes a little understanding exactly what we're doing. But we've, we've repeated that, that, that pattern all around the lake, Terry, and we've had a lot of success doing it so far this winter. Now, are you doing mostly heavy lures like that, or are you throwing a few soft baits too? We're throwing some soft baits as well, Terry, but we're definitely putting them on heavier jigs so that we can make real, real long casts. And we're fishing that depth range between about 60 all the way up to about 30 feet. That's kind of that whole range that we're looking for all around the lake. Um, so you got to have a heavier presentation. you gotta got to have something that's going to sink down there fairly quick. Um, for me, it's really been more of the Johnny Dart and the blade bait. That's really been the deal. And I'm using, you know, like a half ounce or three-quarter ounce blade bait and maybe uh, almost a one-ounce Johnny Dart or that sort of thing, Terry. So heavy presentations, real long casts, just working that outer part of the rocks. And then once we get to the rocks, we're reeling it in because if you try to bounce those those vertical-type presentations through a lot of those rocky banks on horses, you'll just snag them over and over and over again. And, and really the majority of the fish, like I said, are coming outside of the rocks, Terry. So it's really about making that long cast and getting on a real steep bank in order to be able to do it. And what species? You said some uh, bass. Did you say some walleyes? What? What? What about trout? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen some walleyes, and we've also been catching a lot of smallmouth, Terry. And the smallmouth have been really good size. You know, average size on horse tooth. We're seeing a lot of those 14, 15 inch fish. But on occasion, I'm getting into a 16, maybe a 17 inch fish as well. And and numbers have been really good, Terry. When I've timed this bite right, we've gone out there, and you know, I've caught 20 of them within just an hour or two, Terry. So uh, the bites there now there's there's a lot of areas that, that you're going to struggle in catching fish right now. So it's really about kind of covering water and sort of bipping around the lake and trying a few different spots. But if you time a spot right, Terry, uh, you have no problem catching fish right now in open water up on horse dude. I also heard the water level was pretty high for this time of the year. The water level is incredibly high and still going up. The water is coming into the reservoir right now, and uh, it's just a few feet from full pool right now, Terry. So the, the water is very, very high. And if you can get around some of the current, especially up in the inlet area, we're also seeing some trout. Um, Chad's been catching trout just right back there as well by his house. And so there's trout that are active right now, and uh, the smallmouth are, have been real, real consistent.
Now, you're at the boat show. Before we run out of time, I want to give you a chance to talk about it. Brad and I talked about a little bit in the first hour, and, of course, he's there with the Lund side of things, but you're there with the Ranger side of things, and but with the same deal or Crowley, which I think are some of the better guys in the industry and really true, true professionals, and they service the fishing industry. But if they head down to the boat show to talk to you, Ronnie, what are they going to see? Well, Crowley Marine, yes, Terry. I'm at Crowley Marine. I'm actually sitting in a Ranger boat right now, one of the new FS Pros, um, a whole new line of boats that, that Rangers come out with this year that are very, very cool. A lot of real innovative stuff in these FS Pros. Uh, they got digital touch screens for all the control panels and things like that. Uh, they've really thought out a lot of really cool things on this new boat that they're going. But Crowley Marine, yeah, they've been in business for 50 years. This is actually their, their 50th anniversary here. And uh, anybody that's been in business uh, in one place you know they've been in denver for all 50 years anybody that's been in business for that long doing something like selling boats terry uh is obviously doing something right you know these guys get a lot of repeat customers guys that come back year after year you know and buy new boats with them and and i can speak from experience terry it was just two years ago that i was at this exact boat show here at the denver convention center and i came down here and i purchased my uh 50th anniversary edition uh ranger z185 and uh the experience here at the boat show was outstanding for me uh the thing i really liked about it you know i had been shopping boats for probably six months before the boat show and really kind of looking and seeing it. But I had a lot of questions, Terry. And when I got to the boat show, you know, the guys at Crowley sat down with me and they, they really went over everything with me. Uh, you also have uh, a lot of the factory reps are here. So there's a rep from Ranger. There's a rep from Evinrude, you know, the guys I got my motor from. Uh, people are here from the factories. And so they have a lot of insights on setup and things like that. And, and really they can talk you through and really make sure that you're making the right decision when you you know, you commit to making one of these purchases, Terry. Yeah, it sounds, this is a great time to talk to those factory guys. And I have nothing but the utmost respect for the Crowley guys. Uh, Ronnie, what, uh, I know Brad's going to be down there yet today and tomorrow. When are you, are you there today and then tomorrow too, or? I'm just here today, Terry, and I'll be here for a few hours. Uh, you know, Chad Chance is here, Dan Swanson. So Fishful Dinker crew is here in force, and those guys will be here all day and all day tomorrow. Uh, I see Austin Parr walking around. So you, you got a whole bunch of guys that are regulars on the radio show, Terry. We're all down here, and no no surprise, uh, the majority of us are all standing around the Crowley, uh, in the Crowley booth uh, talking to people and showing people these beautiful Ranger boats, and, and the Lund boats are here as well. And so uh, absolutely, come on by, say hi, and uh, – uh, we'll be happy to, to point you the right direction if you're looking to get into a boat or if you have any questions about motors and things like that, Terry. Or just come by and you'll give them some more tips on that smallmouth fishing at Horsetooth. That's a cool bite. It takes a lot of skill, but absolutely. Come on by and chat me up on that. That's also something that would work really well at Pueblo right now, Terry. Uh, it's that same way we caught fish when we were on the boat in Pueblo, but you can absolutely do that from the shore in Pueblo. You just got to understand the topography and, and understand where those rocks transition, Terry. One other quick thing, you know, with having so many fishing experienced anglers out there down at the boat show, that really comes into factor, Ronnie, is you can talk to someone about layout and people who've spent hours inside the boat and really can talk about all the nuances. You know, the the salespeople have a lot of time and a lot of different models to know, but these anglers have spent, you know, Dan has spent decades fishing out of a very similar style boat. Uh, same thing with uh, Jarrett. So being able to get those people, pick their brain, and maybe get some of those more 
uh, layout questions and the fishability questions answered at that boat show is really an advantage of coming down this weekend. You're, you're absolutely right, Brad. And, you know, one thing about about the Ranger boats that I'm in and Dan is in and, and Chad is in is these boats are custom built to order. So there are a lot of options that are available for you as far as the bells and whistles and things like that. And getting with somebody experienced and asking those questions, you can really kind of decide, you know, where do I want to put my money? What options do I really need? What options can I live without? Um, I know I heard you guys talking earlier about people underpowering their boat. Absolutely. When I bought my boat last year i can tell you this the big upgrades i did on my boat and actually two years ago i bought my boat uh the big upgrades i did were were on the back of the boat and on the front of the boat i upgraded for the best motor that i could get on the back of the boat and at the time i upgraded for the best trolling motor that i could put on the front of the boat and the most powerful one um so you guys were right on point when you talked about making sure that you don't underpower a boat and putting that money where you really get the most bang for your buck uh coming down to the boat show you can talk to these guys you can talk to me you can talk to everybody here in the booth and uh, we can definitely get you to put the money where you need it well ronnie we got to run but hopefully a lot of people come down and see you brad chad and the whole crew down there thanks for joining us and a lot of people got to get out and fish horse tooth thanks ronnie all right Taylor, you feel better buddy and uh let's uh, let's get together sometime soon yep we have to you bet we're gonna have to wrap things up here brad but before we do i just see somebody snuck into the studio through the side door there i guess he came is that the front or the side that little one yeah, you know, horse tooth is where we won our state championship, Terry. I know. That was bowling, not fishing, yes. though. You know, Brad, well, I've been working with Terry on his presentation. I, hopefully he had a chance this week. I've tried to explain to him that to, to be a good fisherman and angler, presentation's key, but he doesn't seem to really get that. He yeah. just kind of throws his rod I, out I there. I saw and... the presentation you posted on my Facebook page. Today. Yeah, what was that? Did you see? What was that? <laughs> well, is that catfish? What, yeah, it, well, they look like some kind of catfish. I've never seen him do it by hand, but I'll, I'll tell you real quick what, what I— I've seen that before. There's some parts of the world, and I'm not even remembering where it is, where there's rivers and ponds that go under the dirt. Right. Okay? And they, and they do it like ice fishing, but they use a post hole digger, and they cut a round hole, and then they fish. I've never seen them put eggs and toothpaste in the hole and then catch them by hand. I see there was a lot of comments on it. Oh, so I haven't looked, but so is that ethical? It's almost like dynamiting, so... Well, it, what they were doing, so knows? people know, they, they do that hole you were talking about, and then they cracked eggs and put toothpaste in it and stirred it up, and apparently that really aggravates or poisons the fish? Something. I'm not exactly sure. But then they were able to reach and grab them as they came up in the hole. And I there were saw, dozens of them. Or, I, yeah, yeah. I, I actually saw them doing that with bigger fish and a line. They didn't have a rod, but a handheld line. So it's another country. What the rules are, what the culture is, I don't know. But it's, it's kind of interesting. Would that see. be ethical here? Uh, That'd be a good question. Yeah, we'd have to find out because technically— Well, dude, you guys are the experts. I I think think the egg is all right. I'm not sure about the toothpaste. Toothpaste, yeah. Well, you know, you can't chum in Colorado. That's true. So you wouldn't be be illegal in Colorado. I think it's a topic for next week. I I don't think so. Come on. Speaking of topics, before we go, the new offensive coordinator for the Broncos. We'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm having trouble getting excited. I know he's been around a long time. Remember that last time you, you said, that Pat Shermer offense, I'm really excited about it. W- yeah. w- when was that? I, I don't think I ever did. Right. Yeah, and that's what's got me scary. And they talk about the quarterbacks he's developed. Name one that's still playing successfully. That's right. Yeah, it's got me a little scared. Now, hopefully it'll be great, but I'm sure you're going to tell us all about it. Oh, absolutely. And is he the savior or is Drew Locke really the savior? Well, we'll, we'll get l- into that. Let's just not screw him up.
Or let's give him a chance to be good. We don't know how good he is. But we're going to wrap things up. I want to thank Brad for being in studio as my, my safety net with this cold I'm fighting. You're welcome, Terry. And uh, I want to thank all the guys that joined us today. Thanks, Kyle, in the control room. And thanks, Karen, for putting up with my whining about how sick I am. And she'll take me home and take care of me now. But uh, we'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports with Dan Jacobs. Welcome.